sir. We've got hall breaches on decks three, four, and five of episodes like The Cloud and Twisted. We've got reports of gimp suit robots infiltrating, infiltrating deck 12. What do we do, sir? We can't hold this viewing experience together much longer. Batten down the hatches and red alert across all decks. The time's come, we must break the glass and activate the emergency holographic episode. Okay, one moment. We're preparing Robert Picardo's and... Oh, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing stabilization across all decks. I think we've got smooth sailing for the next 40 to 45 minutes. Hey, this, this isn't bad. This is good. Seems as though our 90s melodrama emergency has been averted. But for how long? Welcome once again to Vigor, please. Hateful Voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. Well, Peter, welcome to another uh, journey uh, through Voyager, and uh, I think we both agree that uh, it was a lovely respite <laughs> from, from what has otherwise been dangerous nebulous filled with AIDS. I want to jump back to the uh, Winnie the Q episode, Death Wish. To be clear, I enjoyed it, I think, overall. It's just, like you said, Star Trek does try very hard to keep their shit together. And when you go with something as crazy as the Q, it's all over the place. It's it's easy to lose control. Still a good episode. And certainly I saw a lot of really good discussion coming out of uh, the people that we know that watch the show and online. So certainly not a low point for the show, but trouble for, for episodes to come and uh, certainly what we just watched tonight was a good return back to solid Trek. Yeah, it's good storytelling using Star Trek as a vehicle and science fiction as a vehicle. And this could have been an episode any sci-fi show could have potentially done. But Star Trek is particularly good at doing, if that makes sense. Hmm. It was good use of the character uh, of the Doctor and Kess uh, to tell that story. Really, I mean, if if I have a negative to it at all, would be the B plot. But I because I know where that's going. I, I guess I didn't mind it. So uh, I'm interested in your thoughts. But I'd like to make an agreement before we go deeper into this uh, episode, because we have beat the hell out of the topic, or at least I have on at least several other of our episodes. I want to go through this and not really bring the baggage of data and other AI as we know it in um in the 24th century federation into this because i think we've already fleshed out what the difference is that you know emh has more processing power and that instead of telling the same stories over and over again that they've you know already thrown out in the water that this guy is much more emotionally capable out of the box than data was and i want to throw the caveat in there in my brain i do believe that there was a specific thing in place preventing data's emotions before we jump into the episode itself, do we want to talk about the live cast? Yeah, so by the time this comes out, it'll be already have happened. 
Oh, well, then maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> so I think we're good. Hopefully we are we'll be reflecting this time next week about how it was well attended. Yes. Um, so uh, hopefully you all came to it. Uh, we're going to give this a try. The intention is if we attract uh, enough folks and they like it and they want to we do it regularly, that we'll do one once a month, probably on Mondays sometime later in the month. Uh, but uh, we've been wanting to do a, a live cast for a long time because we we generate so much Trek talk and uh, it almost bogs the podcast down sometimes uh, and just tangents that we want to go on. So we want to separate that out and do that and engage with our listeners on that uh, separately. So tell you what, if people miss the one coming up this Monday and uh, today is September 13th, 2018 for you guys listening in the future, uh, I believe our intention will be to do another uh season two r.i.p oh yeah yeah and and that last one was certainly a lot of fun so i'm looking forward to closing out season two yeah and it's coming up on us speaking of season two season two episode 19 life signs ah you're so good at the transitions peter it's like you have practice (laughs) that's so good the first things first tom is late for his shift again Man does not own a, a, an alarm. Just, you know, he's spending too much time in his J.O. fantasy den before his shift. Doesn't know how when to cut it off. Not sure what's up with the guy, but uh, he shows up and he starts giving like real shitty excuses, kind of just to stick in everyone's eye that he's late. So he's kind of like being late and being an asshole about it. So the worst kind of coworker. Yeah, it's like a performance of rubbing people's face and your tardiness. But I do like they do some foreshadowing here. Uh, you know, wouldn't you believe it? Ensign Wildman went into labor and I believe he said, oh, yeah, you know, I missed my calling as a medical professional. And I believe later on he's going to have to revert back into his first aid role under the doctor's um, tutelage, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, off and on, that's going to be a thing through his seven years uh, on the on the ship. There's other reasons why that particular bit of dialogue was foreshadowing, but I don't want to spoil the episode. But, you know, Commander, no fun. He's not enjoying Tom being uh, being late, but he settles into his post. And the first thing they uh, that uh, Voyager comes across today is a derelict ship in space that they detect has a single female Vidian life sign. Before we we get into the main plot, I want to talk about this Tom thing a little bit, and it'll become more prevalent towards the end of the episode when I talk about the executive reception on this episode. Little stuff like this, because what did we start with? Uh, Was it the ration lottery was really the beginning of his um, subordination, insubordination? I would say so, yes. I don't. My resentment there was that we had the first murder on Voyager in the background and there was no bleed through. I don't think this is a bad plot line that they've been running. I think that the fact that it's kind of existed in a bubble ignorant of the rest of the episode around it has uh, has bothered me. But the Voyager writing staff building continuity into these episodes to form story arcs that span episodes is much appreciated. It's the biggest thing that has been missing to me in uh, in Voyager is a lack of a bigger picture and continuity. Everything's just been a, a what if. What if today, you know, they got stuck in a space baby and what if Harry Kim went back in time or, or whatever. I'm really enjoying this continuity 
And at first I was a little shaky on, you know, why is Tom reverting away from the second chance speech he gave before into this this bad boy role? I appreciate that they start to really flesh it out here and give it a life. There's an interesting place this goes. I just can't comment on it. It's just one of those things I'm so fully spoiled on that anything I say is going to convey where it goes, Mm -hmm. what its purpose is. So I don't mind that it's in this episode because I know where it's going. And that's all I can say. I do also want to say that this is interesting from a Starfleet operations, you know, a day in the life of Starfleet. How often do you think someone like, you know, Chakotay or Riker really has to deal with this? Like the 24th century, nobody has to do anything they don't want to. Everybody who is in Starfleet typically is there because they want to be there and they have full buy-in. It has to be pretty hard for, um, you know, Chakotay or or Riker in the case of Barkley when you have a real discipline problem. And then, you know, Barkley was late for goofy, weirdo, selfish reasons, whereas uh, Paris is a discipline problem because of a real chip on his shoulder and aggression towards other crew members. I, I think it's it's interesting to watch this in process, even with Chakotay being uh, the Maquis defector he is. I think in this episode, all that's kind of set to the side and, and Chakotay is just represented as overbearing Starfleet Big Brother. I completely agree with you that this would be expressively rare, like being in Starfleet, such an aspirational thing where else I could live a decadent life of having whatever I wanted created for me out of thin air, literally. So if you're here, you want to be here. So you're probably never fucking late to work. You're probably the motherfucker that's early to work. Who's worse? You're that fucking guy. It's a ship of that fucking guy. And so this ship, because it's, you know, one third filled up with former white trash Al-Qaeda, you know, lurking in the the fucking DMZ murdering Cardassians. And then, you know, the random convict and space cat and space jailbait. Not everyone's going to be on that same page. And even though Chakotay is like a wannabe, you know, uh, born again Boy Scout. <laughs> It's going to be a little weird for him to have to deal with malcontents that uh, don't want to show up to work and would rather fuck off in Tom's sex den. Or whatever. I, maybe or whatever. Yeah, just yeah. read a fucking book. Do whatever. Like, yeah, I'm just going to chill here. What are you going to do? Yeah. So luckily for Tom, he does show up moments before our plot unfolds. And like you said, we got a uh, little ship out in the middle of nowhere and they're reading some funny life signs which come across as Vidians. And we will remember Vidians as the uh, former scholar poets who were renowned through the galaxy until about 300 years ago when they caught like super disease space aids and they're, well, not even, you know, let's be real here. It's uh, space leprosy. It's like head to toe, nasty, gnarly shit all over them. It's fucking bad. I also make some space, uh, space dumb. As we discovered the last time we really saw the Vidians and they were fucking with uh, Balana and uh, they didn't recognize Chicote in makeup. <laughs> Remember that? Like, apparently the rot got to his brain hole and he's just like, no, gosh, Charlie, we can't put Charlie on, on uh, guard duty anymore. He thinks rocks are people. Spoiler he's got the, alert. Uh, he's got the brain cancer. Yeah. Um, I almost can't look at these two episodes as in the same unit. I think that this episode does so much to rebuild the Vidians in my mind as excellent 
species slash bad guys and undoes a lot of the damage that what was that faces was that the actual name of the episode that was and i have been as a strong fidean apologist i feel this is a liberation <laughs> like this is my this is my liberation at hand that you must come home to the vidians being good antagonists i feel good it feels good peter they threw you a very right. strong they threw you a very strong uh life fest in this one and in fact i'll actually reference faces which i thought was a big a plus in the book on here too but uh so that it, you know hey here is these crazy frankenstein monster aliens out here and this for all intents and purposes seems like the perfect opportunity for us to swoop in and be good interstellar boy scouts and rescue these guys and rightfully everybody on that bridge is like hold up we've been sucker punched by the vidians on several occasions this smells like a trap and Tuvok specifically says, this does not appear to be a trap, which at that point I was expecting Janeway to say, then fuck it then. And then that's the episode ends. Do, 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 do. Like it's over. It's not a trap. Janeway's not interested. Trap queen don't want none. If it doesn't have tremendous ship peril in it, hun. I mean, the fact that she's like, oh, if it's not a trap, I guess we can help. I mean, that's a little out of character for her, but I bought it. Uh, they beam the Vidia in the sick bag. And sure enough, this this lady is super, super, super space aged up. And the doctor starts uh, with cast to diagnose what's up with her. And what they discover, aside from the fact that she's dying of, you know, multiple organ failure, is that she's got some kind of cortical implant. And they determine that this was being used by this person to fend off the brain rot. So she doesn't get a case of Charlie's stupids from the faces cave. <laughs> She's got a little brain booster to help things work, but uh, things have continued to degrade so that even that's not working as well anymore. And then the fucking doctor comes up with the, like the most fucking metal goddamn shit we have yet seen out of him and he has resurrected people from the dead. And that is, well, why don't we put her synaptic functions into the fucking computer and give her a holographic body instead? I want to hang out here for a minute because let's let's do let's do because this is some wild ass shit. This is an excellent episode. And I can't say that it was perfect writing, you know, uh, from a from a classical standpoint. But for the Voyagers that we have seen so far, they cover all of their bases beautifully. And there's nothing that really leaves me scratching my head on why didn't they do this or how could this have happened? Or did they just ramrod plot through stupid turns to, to get to a destination? Um, let's, you know, ignore the one point that there's not even security on hand when she beams over this, this very aggressive race, but uh, the little microchip that's hanging out of her head that you just described is exactly what any good Star Trek episode needs. And it's just enough technology fleshed out just enough to give the impression of, Hey, whatever crazy thing we're about to pull out here to turn into an episode, it's just plausible enough that you can go, okay, I can live with that suspend disbelief and move through without any baggage the rest of the episode. My question to you, and it's one that kind of, you know, we get the answer at the end, but what's happening here exactly? Is her brain functioning as he puts her body into stasis and acting as a server 
to the holographic projection that becomes a client? Or has he basically taken a, a snapshot of her brain and basically made like a sandboxed instance of her consciousness at that exact moment and and put it into this computer program free to act on its own uh, and, and essentially created two people at this point. So I agree with your first point overall. I think you're right. They do just enough to set up what they do here and explain away your obvious question that gets at you that you would ask of why can't she just stay that way? Like they cover all their bases to set up the drama of this episode in a way that doesn't break it, which is a feat for Voyager for sure, because they're fucking terrible at that. They actually nail it this time. It's a it's a wild idea that totally makes sense because she just so happens to have the right thing in her brain to make this work temporarily. Two, to your point, and what I think that they convey is that her consciousness is contained essentially in that device. And that what it's doing is that it's relaying her commands to the rest of her brain and sort of enhancing her ability to think and function because her brain's tissue is degrading. But that implant actually contains what you would say is quote unquote her. So when they take her out, she's not in her body. Her consciousness is not in her body anymore. It is in the computer, which is why they have to put her back in because it was two versions of her. They could just, pop her up and then there would be two of her. No, they have to put her back into her body once they're done fixing her brain. And ultimately it does seem as though all the memories and experiences and feelings that she goes through over the next eight days stay intact when she, you know, does go back in this thing. Uh, And again, this is all done through this brain chip hanging out of her head. Uh, We have been shown on several occasions that Vidian technology is extremely advanced in certain areas specifically medical. So the fact that she should have such a fantastic neural interface pre-existing is well within reason. Mm-hmm. And like you said, too, uh, they do a good job of saying this can't be a permanent solution. Uh, her pattern is going to degrade in the buffer, same way how uh, Scotty in the Dyson Sphere episode of TNG, most of the other everybody else that he went into the pattern buffer with eventually died and only he survived, that this is not a permanent solution. And if you're going to have the uh, sort of Damocles hanging over their head. So once he establishes this link, they start building out her body on the bed in a, a really nice nod to the fifth element when they rebuild, what was her name? Lilu multi-pass. Yes. They start with the skeletal structure and then they put all the guts in it and then the muscle and then the tissue. And then finally her clothes. And for, you know, 90 something TV, I thought this was pretty good CG. Yeah, it's a good you know, series of layered shots that looked pretty good. I mean, like you said, for the 90s, not bad, not bad at all. And the big takeaway from this is for the first time, and if I understand it correctly, the only time we see what do the Vidians look like without the phage at all. Correct. This is the only time. Vidians aren't bad looking aliens. They kind of got a lot of forehead action, but that's about it. Kind of look like a peach. They do. They kind of their faces look like peaches, peach heads. They are the peach heads, which is better than being a shithead. So not the worst we've seen. It's not. It's 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 interesting and but very close to human. And, you know, we cut then to Janeway 
talking like, hey, well, we're going to deliver uh, this lady back to her colony, presuming she survives. It happens to be sort of in the direction we're going and in a few weeks we'll be in the neighborhood. So provided we can secure ourselves from getting our fucking lungs stole out, we'll uh, we'll send her back. And that's when Chakotay brings up bad boy Tom. Uh, as to the Vidian colony, this is kind of where they break away from from what we know about the Vidians, I think, because they're like, well, she's halfway between wherever and some super remote Vidian colony. And everything that I'd kind of seen from the Vidians so far was that they are very secretive. They hide their their presence and uh, they kind of live in the shadows. So Voyager knowing where this thing is seemed odd, but I did think it was interesting. Hold on, hold on. Chakotay specifically says we got this out of her ship's logs. Good. Like they didn't know. They found out from her, so it is a secret. Good. He does say, though, it's about 10 light years away from them, and I thought the fact that they put a 22 days travel time on 10 light years was interesting. Yeah, I mean, they. I, I, I think you could probably extrapolate a general speed at which they are moving mm-hmm. from Cruising that information. Speed. Yeah, like, you probably could if you're a big enough nerd. Which I'm bad at math. I, I'm I'm good at math, and I'm still not going to try. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, someone out there probably can. Jack, are you listening? You're you're a nerd and very well educated. So we're leaving it up to you, Jack. Uh, no one else, just Jack. Anybody else figures this question out other than Jack, you are banned from this podcast. You are forever banned from your ears. This Only is Jack. Forbid- this is the black math. Um. Yeah, so she brings up Tom. Now, on a Starfleet vessel, again, the commander's kind of in charge of uh, the crew and making sure that the captain has a ship running as a clean whistle. Uh, But he goes right to Janeway and says, hey, look, I'm having problems out of Paris. He's been your pet project. Do you want to step in on this or how do you want to play it out? He does what he should do, which is anyone, any other time I'd do I'd do my thing. But clearly Tom has, you know, been your reclamation project says, hey, this is this is the chance to maybe uh, step in and do something and talk to him and convince him to to get back on the straight and narrow. And Janeway just straight up says, nah, takes okay. a pass. It's got to be a weird space for Chakotay on another level, too. You know, we talked about it's it's abnormal for Starfleet. But keep in mind, there's there's bad blood between these guys. Uh, Paris was serving on Chakotay's uh, unnamed Maquis uh, ghetto sled uh, when, <laughs> when Tom got how did Tom get caught again by Starfleet he just got caught on the first mission he did I, I don't know if they ever said how he got caught but he got caught we also keep in mind that you know Chakotay says he owes Tom a life boon so I'm not sure where that's at in this equation that again, seems just to be completely back. forgotten Case in case we got people skipping uh, episodes in the first episode, uh, while attempting to escape from a planet that was falling apart, uh, Chakotay fell victim to some very uh, dangerous non-OSHA compliant stairs, and Tom Paris, you know, went out on a, a literal limb, uh, saved Chakotay's life, dropped some very insulting, <laughs> uh, transformative Indian power jokes. Oh yeah, and, some and very like. Native American uh, racism happened. And if you'll recall, uh, there was this bearing of the hatchet. Tom's like, well, you know, I saved your life. And Chakotay's like, I owe you one. 
And also, let's remember that all of my, how did Tuvok put it, uh, mercenaries, psychopaths, and and what? What else makes up the Maquis? Mercenaries, psychopaths, murderers? Yeah, there you go. You know, the rest of my crew that's on the ship who want to wring your fucking neck and kill you? I'm going to tell them, hey, lay off. Tom Paris is okay. So let's jump forward to today when... <laughs> When Chakotay has to figure out how to deal with Tom, the same Chakotay who lunch punch Dobbs in the mouth. Dolby. Man, Dolby. You, can I point something out to you, Peter? This is this is just a mis- this is my of all of the little quirks that I've picked up on your uh, uh, over the course of doing 35 episodes of the show with you. You are absolutely dog shit terrible at remembering the names of anything. Yeah, you're terrible at the names of characters. Oh, you're yeah. terrible at the names of actors. Mm-hmm. You're you are just the absolute worst. It infects me like things that I know. Like I keep calling Robert Duncan McNeil Ian Duncan McNeil because <laughs> fucking 15 weeks ago you started calling him that, and now yeah. I can't stop calling him that. Yeah. You've poisoned me. You've poisoned I, me, Peter. I was listening to the uh, Winnie the Q episode where I was mispronouncing John Delancey's name, and I even got you to call John Delancey. Yes, you times. did. <laughs> yes, I was saying it right. Then you got me start calling him John Delance. I couldn't fucking stop you. You infectious motherfucker. I can't even remember our own podcast name. Yeah, it's oh, true. Yeah. You're yeah, you're it's really terrible. In real life, I'm very good at uh, anybody I've met, and I don't remember their name. I'm very good at calling you everything in the book other than your name. So there's no attention called the fact I forgot what your name was when we just met five minutes ago. But Chakotay uh, could very easily resolve this situation. You know, he's punched people. Chakotay's pulled some pretty scandalous shit on the ship. And he could just be like, look, dude, you want to be a problem? Uh, How about I have some of my key dudes pull you off to the Jeffrey's tube? put a finger in your butt and see if that doesn't, you know, find your reset, your attitude reset switch somewhere up your asshole. Does that sound good? But uh, no, he goes about things. The, the nice Chakotay way comes up alongside him uh, in the mess hall, asks to sit down and starts chatting Tom up. Yeah. He tries the nice guy approach. He's like, Hey, he's got his coffee. He's like doing the nice Lumberg. Mm-hmm. Hey, so, uh, how you feeling, Tom? Yeah, you want to tell me about your feelings? You know, what's going on with you, man? I'm worried. I'm I'm worried about you. And Tom, um, just is like, bitch, are you for real? Like, what? What is with you asking me about my fucking feelings? And he like shifts gears a little bit. And he's like, well, Tom, you know, uh, your performance has suffered. I'm not taking your duties seriously. I just, I want to know what's going on, Tom. This is like the exact opposite of, of the Dolby punch, mm-hmm. you know, I scenario. think Chakotay is really trying hard on this and I can't really fault him. I, I think it's solid command. He's doing the Starfleet thing. I said, just coming in and, and putting him, you know, to the wall. And again, there's nothing that we have seen on camera that really gives any of Paris's behavior a leg to stand on. So I think that Chakotay's really trying hard to do the right thing here and and whatever chip um paris has on his shoulder is kind of a a man child situation that's going on just to let's just kind of wrap the whole b plot up yeah so we can focus the rest of our time on the a plot so tom acts like a bitch to the question and starts essentially grandstanding and insulting jacote 
saying that he's just a shitty supervisor and won't let him, you know, let his fucking angel wings spread and soar uh, when he wants to, like, do wild shit at the con. Mm -hmm. And this is all his fault. And then, you know, says, I want to be excused now. Chakotay's patience is clearly run thin and says, all right, Tom, you can go. That's fine. He also drags everybody else in the mess hall into this. Like he he rubs Chakotay's face in shit publicly. And in the crowd, we've got uh, Jonas, who you'll remember is uh, Maquis, who's been in uh, secret communications with Seska, which is part of the C plot in this. But finally, Chakotay sees, you know, he's not going to get in a public shouting match with uh, Paris and uh, dismisses him. Later on, we see Tom late for his shift again. And this time, he's informed by Chakotay that he won't be needed that day because they have a guy named Grimes who will be taking his shift because clearly Tom isn't giving enough of a shit to keep take his duties seriously, so he will be relieved of them. Janeway refuses to get involved when he appeals to her. And when Chakotay tries to basically lead him out by a shoulder of the bridge, he gives him, I guess, uh, a the firmest shove <laughs> that you've ever seen because it throws Chakotay all the way to the ground. <laughs> I can't help but feel that Chakotay knew this was coming, that he just played Paris like a fool and that he folded like a complete sissy and and you know like when you got a, a younger sister and you're like no and then she just throws herself to the ground and you're like i i barely even touched her what what the hell is this like a it's, it's like a soccer flop is that what this is like that key and peel sketch where the guy dies and goes to heaven after being like barely touched <laughs> uh and uh that gets uh janeway out of her seat and and demands that tuvok take uh Paris uh, to the brig. That's the last we see of that particular B plot. And then the big C plot. Big yeah, big. There's more punishment for shoving Chakotay to the ground than violating the prime directive and selling stolen technology or violating the chain of command and flying off in a shuttle and endangering the entire ship for your Seska suicide run. Yeah. Yeah. Tom gets put into the space pokey where people have done far, far worse and received not even a, a, the, a stern talking to. The last time, the only time we have ever seen someone sent to the brig, they killed somebody. <laughs> it's true. Tom is literally worse than murder. We have a cease uh, plot stinger. Jonas at first contacts the random Kazan flunky, says, hey, dissension. He tries to get him to sabotage the warp coils and he basically says i'm not <laughs> gonna he says no i'm not gonna do it and i ain't gonna talk to y'all until you put seska on the line what how far out of left field it's like you're snitching to someone else about like oh man at my work uh my boss is real shitty and some guy spitting his coffee today it's like oh man that's crazy hey pull the fire alarm and wait out in the bushes with the gun and shoot everybody and they come out like wait what you're crazy man put seska on the phone i'm done talking to you and, and sure enough it's it's been discussed in the past between us is seska actually aware that jonas is actively feeding her you know the the Kazon information or has uh grand Maj Kulla, see i knew that name without looking um oh you you fucking saucy bitch yeah, oh yeah go ahead uh, continue 
Um, has he, you know, is this another little petty power play of his where he's doing shit in the background without her knowing? And in fact, Seska does know. She finally gets on the phone with Jonas. God knows what she's got more importantly than this. And she's like, uh, yeah, I know everything that's been going on. And uh, yeah, so how about sabotaging those warp cores? I got some great ideas. I do like that. She's like, yo, hey, Mike, thanks for all the reports. I've been getting them all real friendly and familiar. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it puts Jonas in like, ah, oh, familiar face. Even though it's not a familiar face, it's the face of the fucking enemy that you used to murder. She's a fucking Cardassian. The fuck is wrong with you? Entire Seska infiltration plot is in the garbage can, unrecoverably so. I'm willing to keep discussing this stuff, but the fact that Maquis are openly collaborating, yeah, collaborating with um, with the fucking Obsidian Order Cardassians is unreconcilable. But you know, if if we had gotten any kind of indication that like Jonas and Seska were tight or groin buddies or something to suggest why he wanted, because he he says like, "Yo, I'm fine giving you information." That's that's fine, but sabotaging the ship? Are you serious right now, Seska? Like, there seems to be a level that Jonas was initially okay with going to, and then this is taking him over the edge, and there there's a suggestion of, of some tight familiarity between the two, but this is the first time we've ever seen these characters interact, so it's like, uh, I guess? Like, what the fuck? Like, there's so much they could have done with this that they didn't do to make this make more sense. But clearly Jonas is a little apprehensive about the idea of of uh, sabotaging uh, Voyager, yet he decides to hear Seska out and there isn't any clear resolution on what he's going to do. Well, Seska blows up. You know, he's like, why would I sabotage a ship? I'm not doing this. And Seska drops the nice guy act and is like, look, do you not see this fucking baby in my stomach? And if you think for a minute that I'm going to have a child on one of these filthy ass stolen on ships you're crazy i'm taking voyager i'm having my baby you know where it belongs and you are either with me or you're going to be against me and when we do take over voyager and we will you know you can be on the save list or you can end up with the rest you know it's it's part of the seska up down sort of method of manipulation peeping people off balance like it's been character for her I just don't need background on why this matters to Jonas and why he's doing this. They tried to hint at it like she he, he was just trying to do her favors by giving her information. What's his goal? Because clearly he's not down with turning the ship and all of his friends over to the murderous ass Kazon. He knows what's going to happen. I was talking about this today. The only game I can think he has in his head is like, maybe if I throw her info and stay friendly and somehow provide a value add resource, we can... Because I think their ultimate goal was to keep the Kazon off them so they're not getting in fights nonstop. Is give her enough info that they deprioritize Voyager as a threat to them and just lay off the attacks, right? I mean, that's that has to be the win scenario he's looking for, right? Uh, that it seems to be the most sensible thing, but no explanation. So who the fuck knows? Anyway, let's get back to the good part of the episode. Enough about the B and C plot. The A plus where the magic is. And if we under explain each individual scene or detail, it's only because you have to watch it. And the part that you have to watch really starts with the doctor deciding to fully upload all of the Vidian females brain into the hollow 
body that's been built. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actress that plays um, this Vidian woman who we find out is named uh, Dinara Pell is named Susan Diol. It looks like she was in uh, an episode of TNG's fifth season. But, Which one? Uh, Silicon Avatar. She's the uh, the chick that Riker's hitting on at the very beginning <laughs> before she gets zotted by the crystalline entity. Oh, hey. Yeah. Yeah, she was a colonist uh, foreman. Yeah, wow, cool. Good on her for getting another role. Yeah, well, I mean, I can see why. Because very so much flirty of, in that role. Very flirty. But, you know, when you're playing opposite of, of the Greek sex god known as Jonathan Frakes, you know, it's easy to be flirty. It's easy to see that beard and say, I want to climb. Man. I want to climb all up in it. The the cult's been disbanded after that last uh, director. <laughs> Get off Frake's dick. I can't live there. So much of the episode's uh, drama comes from how Denara Pell, Dr. Pell, as we will find out, react to things. Lots of subtle facial expression shifts, a lot of nonverbals. Body language. Body language and how she reacts to the idea that she is in a body that looks like a healthy version of herself, something she has not known since she was a child. And it, it, oh, she sees herself in the mirror. She like, she's got Cries. tears. She comes up and down. She cracks. She's super thankful. She's shy. She's, she, she, she has these subtle shifts in her emotions as she's talking about, you know, what this means to her that, says much more than just her dialogue does. And likewise, uh, the doctor's evolution to the rest of the episode as she re- he reacts to Dr. Pell is where the episode really finds its its drama. There's a lot of meat in the beginning couple scenes. Uh, the decision to put someone who is as sick and twisted physically as she is into a completely clean host, I think to any of us would have appeared to be cruel. And of course, it's something that doesn't even cross the doctor's mind. You know, it's an opportunity to see a clean Vidian and that, you know, hey, this might be a nice treat for her. Not, hey, he, <laughs> you're going to get a taste of heaven before I contemn you to having to go back and living in your hellish rot. Um, and that's certainly something that will come into play later. But in this early um, couple of scenes, you know, he gets her and he gets her situated. She starts acclimatizing to this new magical life he's given her a window to. Uh, but he's got to fix her body because she's only got about eight days in this hologram buffer. And then her uh, signal's going to degrade and the terminal sickness she's dealing with is going to kill her. They cut to a scene and it's the doctor and Bellana Torres. And this is one of the biggest feathers in this episode's cap because it's like the cardinal sin in Voyagers. Thou shall not reference anything that happened earlier in the series because God forbid we have continuity. And you've got Bellana and she is irate. And the discussion, something along the lines of uh, it's not that big of a deal. All I want to do is put a little hole in your skull and go in and take a chunk of your brain out. So I have these cells and I can plug them in. And instantly I'm like, well, wait a minute. They're aware that being Klingon is like the miracle cure to the phage because that was the whole thing in faces, right? Was that that is correct. If you have a pure blood Klingon, you have a cure to the phage. And it was our understanding. I believe our, our conclusion at the end of that episode that all the information 
about this doctor, uh, uh, Dr. Durst's, Dr. Durst faces uh, experimentation is that, um, you know, it, it all, I forget, did he die or did they just zap him? No, he, uh, he lived. He was like, no, at the end, uh, you know. So it's all out there in the wild that Klingons are the miracle cure. And, you know, my, my comments then still stand now is if you know the cure to the phage is out there, it should be all hands on deck, tear the Delta Quadrant apart, find Voyager at all costs, because this is salvation in a ship bottle. Um, but Belana's flipping out and she's like, you think I'm going to let you put a hole in my head and steal a chunk of my brain for that thing in there? I still have nightmares about what they did to me on whatever prison colony we were stuck in. Uh, no way in hell you're crazy. And it was such a nod to a previous strong episode or at least strong concept episode. I still think it was faces was, you know, bad for Vidians, but it, it was I a like cool how episode. you just accidentally like complimented it. Like, no, no, I'm going to I'm going to linger there for a second, Peter. Yeah, that's right. This this episode turned you around on faces. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. Continue. No, go ahead. Keep going. Faces had a lot of problems and was bad, but it's <laughs> it's can't take it back now, Peter. I can look at it in the the very rare opportunity to look at it in the 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 continuity glasses and I'll take what I can get. It's a really cool callback because it was a very traumatic event for Bellana. And what she's doing right here is exactly the flip out perfect to her character and the perfect time for it. So she's in the middle of this throwing this tantrum and the doctor's looking at her like, you know, what's the big deal? You know, you're Starfleet and it's a situation we've seen before. Uh. I think the last time we encountered it was a uh, TNG when Worf's blood would have saved a uh, Romulan and Worf refused to do it. And everybody's like, dude, that is not Starfleet at all. And he just let the fucking Romulan die on the table like a, like a, like a stone cold G. Um, he did. But in the middle of it, unlike it being a grateful shitty Romulan, uh, in comes Dr. Pell and is like, Hey, I heard about what happened and I've read the reports. You know, it's incredible what your Klingon DNA has clearly, you know, the the Vidians know the cure is out there now, but I disagree 100% with what was going on there. And she does a very important thing is she creates a division. You know, I, I said that Vidians became a comical bad guys where they were just blind to the terrible things they're doing, like wearing people's faces to try and get in bed with them. And she's like, sometimes I think our scientists and our government have lost their morality uh, and are willing to do terrible things. But there's a lot of us out there that that know better and I apologize and I won't have you do anything you're not comfortable with even if it means I'm going to die I've already resigned to die and and I'm sorry don't you know no guilt yeah and and obviously this has the impact of sort of accidentally shaming Bolana into helping which she does and um, I think that it's worth pointing out that we get a lot of hints about Vidian backstory that you know they don't fully explain how things work but give you insight to how things might work. And I think the key thing that I took away from the episode was that it didn't sound like every Vidian has the phage. Very interesting. It sounded like that the phage was more like it affected a lot of, maybe even the the, the largest part of the Vidian race. Uh, but it seemed clear that it was not guaranteed to affect everybody and that uh, 
at the very least it affected people starting at different times or there seemed to be some inconsistency there because uh, Dr. Pell goes on at length about how she's been ostracized as long as she can remember because she has the face, which suggests to me that there are people who don't have it who are doing the ostracization. This is the complete opposite of the drought treatment we discussed before. You're putting some information out there and you're not making it explicit. It's enough to wonder what if this, what if that. And that's what I like in Star Trek. It gives an, an opportunity for my mind to wander and me to fill in the blanks as I see fit. And and it builds a stronger character. One of the big takeaways from these conversations, you know, she'll later come to comment that she thinks it's really uh, wonderful and beautiful that there's a ship uh, of of a community that gets together that isn't afraid that embraces contact and and interactions, and that you know where she's from because of the phage that uh, public gatherings are forbidden because they pose a risk to the public health and all these other fearful protocols that they have to live in because contracting and spreading the phage is uh, you know at the forefront of every single decision and permeates every corner of their society. There's mystery here. There is unknown. There's implication. There's not putting everything on the table and opening themselves up to, you know, logical inconsistencies. It's the exact opposite of what we saw in that last week. It's just enough to give you an idea of what's going on and allow your mind to wander without calling too much attention to it. I love it works great it's a plus Uh, star trek world building it is and the other big piece of the episode the biggest piece is that in the process of trying to assist dr pell in rebuilding her brain and doing what they can to save her body the emh starts to get close uh to dr pell at first it seems like He's just uh, attempting to entertain her and keep her company and and, uh, you know, uh, awkwardly spend time with her. But as as the episode goes on, it's clear that he's developing some kind of next level feelings for her. And we see this evolution much like the same way we see it in the character of Dr. Pell played out in nonverbals. It's also the subtle performance hints that Picardo puts down. In he's very flat and very uh, a matter of fact, like the first time they're spending time socially together at Big Tom's sex farm. But as time goes on, you see him kind of awkwardly attempting to understand why he's feeling the way that he's feeling. And you see it on his face, you see it in his body language, and it makes everything that happens feel very authentic and real, which is uh, the biggest compliment I can give a performance in a mid 90s sci-fi television show. I also want to say there's a very healthy amount of Kess sprinkled through this episode as a Oh uh, yeah, I emotional agree. coach There's to, a lot of good good Kess content. Emotional coach to the doctor and uh uh you know the closest thing that she has to a girlfriend on the ship trying to play matchmaker between these two. <clears throat> and they don't ever call any attention to it, but you know if we're going to look at this in the bigger picture that's a very kind of Kess who has one lung in her body because these people stole her boyfriend's cat lungs in <laughs> a very well-known cave full of ne'er-do-wells. 
and she generously gave the other lung to him. And she doesn't make so much that that would have been the perfect, you know, eventually there'll be a medical complication. There starts becoming accusation that someone is trying to kill her. And the doctor's like, who would have access to the sick bay that would do such a terrible thing? One lung Kess. Did you poison it? Did your filthy well, space cat come here for revenge? I mean, even the space cat himself is like super nice to her on the holodeck. I mean, he's got... He's got the ugliest fucking costume I think we've seen to date. Stevie saw that shit and was like, he's downgraded to discount African prince. He's no longer a discount African king. That shit is god awful. It looks like some fucking drapes. I just got into a fight with him. I couldn't tell you what he could have been wearing a fucking a red dress made out of pink frosting for all I know. All I could see is his eyes. Like ever since you brought it up, I'm fixated on them. They're not cat eyes. You know what those eyes are? Those are Sith eyes. He just killed a room full of Padawans and he is now, (laughs) I don't know, Darth Kitty or whatever you want to fucking call him. But there's, there's, Cass is going to look at some hollow footage. She's like, he killed younglings. Keep this in canon, man. One day, Neelix has regular people eyes. The next day, the space alien that you know nothing about comes in with Sith eyes. Maybe Tuvok should be like, whoa, shit. Maybe it just means he's in heat, you know? And he starts, like, humping other uh, crew members' legs, you know? He's a filthy space cat. You don't know what how they work. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Every 11 years, I go into a fratricidal friend- frenzy and murder everyone I know. Like... He's a fucking unknown alien from the other side of the galaxy. If he did go through a heat episode similar to Lojum, I thank the producers for not making us sit through it. But she's totally digging it, you know. And and again, one of my concerns always is when you have a hostile species on the ship, you know, the doctor's like, hey, you want to, you know, she's like, I'd like to just roam the halls and explore your ship and catalog all the delicious organs that are here. I mean, uh, you know, learn about you guys. <laughs> Don't mind mind all these notes I'm taking about who has the most tasty livers. I mean, not that we've seen heavy security precautions on any of the other visitors like, you know, sex bot in engineering or anything else. But, you know, they're they're very forgiving of uh, what the Vidians have done. Again, starting with Kess, who has one lung. Um, And yeah, you're like, hey, check out the holodeck. This is a cool place we can go. And it's a good chance to interact with our crew. And she's just buying into it and falling in love because this is everything that she never knew she wanted it's the community and openness people not judging her because her face is rotting off and that's where i start getting like the very clear signs of like she's not going to want to go back and and there's going to be a suicide element to this because he's given her a taste of, uh, again a taste of heaven and and going back into that body is going to be hell so i start seeing the sadness start creeping in even as she's developing this uh this affection for the doctor and the doctor becoming very concerned about what he's getting to the point where he starts running diagnostics on himself i loved that scene where he is uh thinks that there's a flaw in his program because he's having romantic feelings and kes has to remind him your program's extremely adaptable and while it wasn't programmed for romance because you have these heuristic processes that go on that allow you to approach things like a person would, you have now developed it. Like this is the natural consequence of your program being designed in the way that it is that you've been on long enough and you've had these experiences and 
this is just lining up in a way where, yo, sorry, man, you're in love. It's a pretty classic start. I'm sorry, sci-fi trope where the the non-feeling person gets emotions, and I don't think I want these emotions. Something must be wrong. And having to first get over the hurdle of accepting that you're capable of this and then starting to embrace it. I liked that his approach to why he didn't like it was, you don't understand. I'm used to being fully in control of what I'm thinking because I'm a computer program. But now I can't, I'm not in control. And that's weird to me. Yeah. And that the way that's articulated is very effective in the episode. And, uh, Ultimately, the the doctor comes to terms with it. He expresses his appreciation for Dr. Pell in the most perfectly doctor way possible. Before they jump to that, I, I do want to say the end of their first date on the holodeck, where they have like the moment where they should kind of kiss. It was such a painful, awkward moment. And, you know, they do a lot in TV where it's like, oh, these I want these guys to fall in love. Normally, it doesn't do anything for me. But I think that the Picardo and the guest star really pulled that that moment off well i completely agree this this episode had uh a lot of genuine feelings yeah i i was watching it with my wife and you know I, I there were feels feels were shared all around it conveyed that evolution very authentically and in a short amount of time in just a matter of a handful of scenes because the b and c plots take a decent chunk of this episode out well, at least a third of it. So you're talking 30 minutes to build this up, lay it out and to sell it to you. And they do it, which is very impressive. So she gives them the uh, the nickname or the name. What's Schmollis? Schmollis. Schmollis, which I don't think sticks. But uh, I mean, they've, they've got a real strong thing going. Finally, you know, Kess is like, you got to tell her how you feel. And he's in the middle of like doing brain surgery on her. And it's just like, hey, by the way, I like you and I think we should be a thing. And when he drops that line, Kess's face, because they, they cut over to her. <laughs> so good. Perfect. It, it, it looks like he just turned around, got his butt out and pooped on her open brain. That's well, he's, that's the face she's making. Like, what did you, you just spit in her mouth? What the fuck? It's, it was so perfect. It was perfect that the doctor's like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do it exactly this way that you told me to. Because why not, right? He has no context for doing it a different way. Mm -hmm. And Cass seeing like, oh, fuck. I didn't explain he should have tact. Mm -hmm. I didn't explain that there might be a different way to go around doing this. I forgot he's a robot. Yeah. And and of course, you've got Dr. Pell who's like, Deer in headlights, and she's like, uh, we should stay professional because I'm standing here while you're doing brain surgery on me, and you know, your nurse is here. And uh, she's like, yeah, we should stay friends. And uh, it hits the doctor hard, right in the stomach. And he very clearly uh, takes the rejection uh, not the best, and his hands are a little wobbly, and he starts spiraling out of control. This ultimately brings him to the only man on the ship qualified to assist him. <laughs> and that's Dirty Dirty Tom. Um, Who has yet to be put in the brig. We're, we're going out of order here. Yeah, Tom's just chilling in his sex den. And the doctor says, excuse me, Lieutenant Paris, I need to ask you for advice because I believe that you have been rejected by women many times in your life. 
which I thought was the perfect, like, picked some shit up from Seska. Mm-hmm. That was a good burn. That was a solid burn. And uh, Tom relates a story about his first love, who's got the best ex-girlfriend name of all time, Susie Crabtree. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine a Susie Crabtree graduating from the academy and being like a cap- Captain Crabtree. And my mom went to high school with a lady named Kathy Broadsword. <laughs> I can see a Captain Broadsword. That almost is too good. Yeah. Yeah, Kathy Broadsword. But uh, so Tom starts laying advice on her. At the same time, Kess is approaching Dr. Pell like, hey, what's going on? And and you've got the friends coaching. And I think in a longer uh, TV format, Tom might have given, you know, the doctor some bad advice and steered him into uh, something awkward and embarrassing. But instead, uh, he sets up a second round date, you know, says, hey, I've got the perfect program for you to really try and, you know, try this again. Uh, And we end up with a scene where they are on Mars uh, in a 57 Chevy overlooking some dome city of tomorrow. And it was a really cool shot. I thought it was a nice use of special effects. It gave me some real Mass Effect 3 Mars Archive vibes. And uh, it was ridiculous, but in the right way that holodeck simulations should be used for. You could be like, hey, holodeck, I want to have tea on the sun or I want to go on a date and park overlooking you know mars colony think the right way to use the holodeck i do like that tom's got like a secret secret fuck den like this is where he takes the delaney sisters after he's done with his double date with 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 the harry like Mm -hmm. you know where he takes both of them um but it's very fantastic in a way that you would expect someone to design a fantasy on on the holodeck exactly as you laid out like this is a wild, crazy futurist of the 1950s fantasy. Perfect. This is even more fantastical than like a Dixon Hill story or a Sherlock Holmes. Like this is some just crazy sci-fi shit, which of course later on, as you found out, is something that they develop further with Tom Paris in a way that is very memorable. It might be the most ridiculous use of the holodeck yet for the right reasons. And, and that's why I'm calling attention to it is, yeah, you don't, and obviously because, you know, show budgets or whatever, but you don't really see them, you know, breaking physics very often. So that, that was cool. But, you know, he's there. Uh, Dr. Pell shows up. Um, they exchange some remarks about, you know, human dating customs, obviously. And, you know, it transitions into a point where they have a kiss and then just kind of just cuddle and chill out. And it's a, a great scene and helps further bury the knife uh, when we come to find out in the next scene that something has gone wrong with her body, the treatments that the doctor has been trying to uh, do to save her life are being very intentionally tampered with. Uh, uh, let so- me, I, I just want to stop because I want to talk about the romance scene in the sure. car just a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was just beautiful. I mean, I was just sitting there like watching this with Stevie where it's the the awkwardness between them. It's very classic. A romance scene like straight out of something from the 50s complete with i only got eyes for you playing in the background very expensive they didn't put that on the dvds the licensing on that could not have been cheap but uh it's very well acted between the two actors who are both for different reasons very nervous and awkward bobby Picardo goes for gold yet again get gets it gets it in there you your know? use of the word beautiful isn't 
stands out because it's very rare. It's almost never that I ever describe anything in Star Trek as beautiful, let alone a touching romantic scene. Like romance is always in Star Trek, but it's especially the TV shows. It's it's never really a genuine thing. I don't think it's it's there and it's symbolic and it moves a story ahead. But again, we, we keep you know, blow in this episode, but it's very well-deserved. And yes, it is a very beautiful scene, not only aesthetically, uh, but emotionally. I completely agree. And I think that maybe this is resonant to us because we have families who are married. You know, we clearly, on a personal level, are going to connect with what's going on here maybe more than we would have 10 years ago, 20 Mm. years ago, certainly. So maybe that's why we appreciate it more now, which is why this is fun to rewatch this. But it is beautiful. It it's comes campy. to an end. It's campy. and uh, But yeah, as you're about to say, uh, go ahead, explain what happens next. Part of this, is too, is that uh, they can preserve her pattern, her, her you know hologram lifespan, shelf life, by pausing her program. So she's been dipping in and out, and the doctor's been doing his thing with the brain surgery, trying to graft this Klingon wonder gene into her brain. But they find out that like someone's been spraying poison in her body and actively trying to kill her. Uh, he starts working hard. He, you know, doesn't openly accuse Kess, but call, you know, questions what she's been doing. Has she been following the, uh, the medical regimen? Where's a type of spray that you used? He scans it. Nope. It's got, you know what it should have in it. Okay. Well there, it's not a medical accident. Someone is trying to kill her who would kill, you know, the big villain of the galaxy that steals people's lungs. Certainly not Kess. Certainly not her husband before they can really start, rattling the cage hard and get Tuvok in there to begin another, you know, uh, murder investigation. Finally, Dr. Pell, who's just kind of been hanging back in the cut, watching what's going on with no emotion on her face as her body dies is like, I don't want this to go any further. I have been doing this. I am sabotaging the work. I want to die. You have shown me a life that is too good. And I would rather spend another two days as a hologram with you in this dream uh, than be put back in that prison of a rotted body and cast back to a society in a world where everybody that I know and love has already died and everybody that I see around me will die at the hands of this goddamn uh, plague. As you have mentioned multiple times, there's just enough going on in the episode to warn you if you've been paying attention that this is where we're going. And that, I think, belays the strength of the performances and writing rather than what we generally regard as their weaknesses. Because too often, it's either too obvious or too rushed or we want to make it happen so we made it happen type of bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. We complain about that shit all the time. It's a backbone Voyager. Yeah, this time they went out of their way just to put it out there enough that if you're dialed in, you see it. But if you're not, you probably don't. And so if you've kind of been waiting for this to happen, it's very fulfilling because you're like, yep, there it is. That's what's up. There it is. Like I I saw I felt it coming, felt it in my bones. And sure enough, that's where we are. And the fact that, you know, they wait till now to start having that discussion and the way they lay it out is is fantastic. You know, surprise, it's a it's a suicide episode. And we just watched a front build suicide episode in uh, in Death Wish. 
and like you know again harry kim's magic time travel adventure versus um uh the one with uh paris and kim playing the clarinet you know the whole point of that was paris and kim are bros uh and and they do it better in the next episode they do it better here i don't care about the cue i don't care about a guy who is all powerful and super privileged and you know woe is he he's a little bored and he wants to kill himself it's the it's the most flimsiest suicide debate possible and here you have a very real situation. You've got a very real connection with this character. You really feel sympathy for her plight in a cursed life. And it's not even framed as suicide. I don't even think they say the word suicide to her. She's getting more life out of what she is as a hologram. And she is willing to live life the way she wants to, regardless of the consequence, then go back to a very real torturous hell. The Q had to use uh, some South California gas station as their interpretation of how boring and bad life is, you get front row seats to the misery this woman's going through by her stories and body language and everything else. So she brings it up and you're like, she's kind of got a point. And obviously the, the hologram doctor who is built on the sole focus of saving lives can't wrap his head around this. This goes against every fiber, every, every photon of his being. Yeah, good, good save, good save. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10. That's good, Peter. That's good. I would say that you are correct, but they go a step further because they don't leave it at, oh, I'm the doctor, I'm programmed to save lives, therefore I don't understand why you would do this. It makes it clear, like, the doctor, he, he isn't concerned with physical appearance. Mm-hmm. He has no hormones. Mm-hmm. This is an entirely emotional and uh, attachment for him. As a consequence, like he's like, I don't care what you look like. Like, do you think that if you go back into that body, I'm not going to love you because I do love you and I'm still going to when you're in that. And I want you to live because I want you to stay so that I can spend more time with you because I love you. And you you buy it. Yes, I, I mean, you're 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 on board. Like you get that. That's exactly how he feels. If there's one thing the doctor doesn't give a shit about, it's how pretty you are, how ugly you are, or anything. This guy is a here are the facts, and I just see you as you know DNA strands suspended in a body. Picardo actually says in an interview that because uh, the line is you know before I met you I was just a a woman dying of a, of the phage, and he said, well before I met you. I was just a you know, collection of photons held together in a force field. And he said it was the hardest line ever, not because it was the syntax of the line, but because he had to relay that you know, through a dewy-eyed stare of love and say, you know, this techno babble. But he pulls it off great. And you, you know, he sells her, or he tries to sell her, on the, the concept of, you know, you could die in two days in the pattern buffer, or we could ride out the next two weeks or, you know, however many days until we get to this colony to drop you off together. And I am desperate. I'm so desperate to be with you that I want you to endure whatever hell you have to go through just to give us the most time possible together. And they kind of leave it at that. I I had no idea which way this was going to resolve. I mean, we just had the Q episode where he gave in to uh, a suicide, you know, and we lost the special guest character. Right. I didn't know what they're going to do. I mean, she had such a good point and you've seen it a couple. I've seen it in, in a lot of media with start, you know, sci-fi 
live out the rest of your life in a fantasy VR situation or go back to whatever crappy reality is waiting for you. And Star you know, Trek itself has done this exact same plot, albeit 40 years prior with uh, the cage. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's a that's a very excellent point. And unlike the cage, you know, when uh, she decides to go back to the fantasy where she can be beautiful and, you know, Pike kind of nodded and was like, yeah, you're, you're ugly as hell. Get out of here. You know, she does ultimately pick to go back into her body, uh, become fugly as hell. Uh, and yeah, doctors there to hold her hand and, and be with her the whole way through and dance with her. Like there's no dialogue in the closing scene. You just see, uh, Dr. Pell come in. She's back in her body. She's of course, you know, got super space, uh, plague all over her. Dr. Spiles takes, takes her hand, starts some music and dances with her. There's no other dialogue except you know, him asking for the music to start and they dance and that's it. It's the end of the episode. It's a perfect emotional coda to what we watched and a believable and, and resonant and beautiful romance in 30 minutes. Yeah. Part of the hard sell he gave her too was a, you know, you're a doctor, you're a hematologist, you know, you're, plight and not your plight but you know your your obligation is to go help your people and further this i guess if i was going to throw any question at this episode and obviously they've got a set crew and we know that voyager isn't going to pick up extra crew members along the way because whatever fucking reason until they get to seven and nine but i think you know again we got a real strong opportunity to bring a delta quadrant alien and like why did she have to go back to vidian society you know, I think she could have the the phage doesn't move to other races. Right. Um, ultimately, we do have Starfleet, which is willing to, you know, turn the other cheek with fucking murderers. <laughs> you know, with if anything. Yeah. Yeah. If they're willing to take, uh, uh, you know, space Chucky back into the fold. Why why not? Uh, why not a Vidian who could bring knowledge of the systems and cultures and all the other stuff that Neelix does. But I get it. You know, the doctor can't have nice things. Nobody can really have something nice permanently and off uh, and off we go on that. So, you know, there's again, some mixed, there's some mixed words about this episode from the executive uh, production staff. And it, the same thing seems to be, you know, this was a beautiful episode and could have been one of the best if it wasn't for all that, you know, parents, ridiculous arc and the Seska bullshit and whatever. And to me, that's what really sealed the deal on this episode being great is not only is it a fucking kick-ass love story and a great character development point, but you've got solid continuity all over the place. You're pushing other agendas. You're fleshing out the, the world that we're living in and you are integrating this not only into future episodes, but you've got excellent callbacks across the board to previous episodes. This is a 10 out of 10 Voyager episode for me. I uh, agree that it's fantastic. I, I feel like they didn't need more time with the A plot, so the fact that they spent time on the B plot was not a big deal. I, I, I think they're weaker, but I don't care because the, the main plot of the episode is very good, and they did a great job with it. So uh, definitely top-notch Voyager for me as well, and I think uh, – I'm really glad I rewatched this one. I didn't think I rewatched. I were, I rewatched this like maybe four or five years ago, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, my life has changed a lot in that four or five years, and I appreciate this episode so much more because of what has occurred. 
So, And again, I'm very happy I'm able to look back on this episode and there's no big stupid blunder or inconsistency that just holds me up and says, hold on, I can't bridge this gap. This is this is just too much suspension of disbelief. A plus writing uh, to to cross all the T's, dot the I's and just let me focus on the story they wanted to tell. Completely agreed. I'm glad we could get our jokes in in the first 30 minutes because we spent the last 45, as you adequately put, blowing it. <laughs> but it pretty it earned it. It earned it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. This, that the Picardo stabilization effect. Yeah, that EMH that he comes in in a clutch. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen here uh, because I like this episode so much. I am not going to try and shoehorn a rule of acquisition. This will be the first time we have an episode without a rule of acquisition because it would be a disservice to it. I don't have anything good enough to suit it. So let's do a pause on that for this one. All right. All right. You got yourself a deal, my friend, but uh, I'm not letting you off the hook on your other duty, which is telling us what we have up for ourselves next. Uh, That's going to be season two, episode 20 investigations. What a creative name investigations. We've got uh, Paris in some civilian clothes. We got Neelix looking at him. Um, concerned paris has a very determined look on his face paris leaves voyager and joins a talaxian space convoy neelix helps smoke out the crew member who has been passing federation secrets to the kazon looks like the story arc with uh paris going uh going bad boy is going to pay off although a little bit too much spoiler there about uh, neelix's involvement in this episode this looks like it's going to be a good one it's it, given your attitude about their the continuity on Voyager, I, I feel confident in a prediction that you'll probably like it. It's very funny to me that something that is the backbone of every TV show out right now, which is continuity and not episodic formats, that even though these aren't the best TV episodes out there, that just a little bit of it is enough for me to sink my teeth into and keep me caring about, you know, the the Voyager story. I think this one will also provide us with like a lot of top quality snarf snarf humor mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that also is always something to look forward. To. I'm telling you, man, after that uh, panel I sat through with uh, Phillips, uh, I see Neelix in a whole new light now and I'm ready to go back to being pro Neelix. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. This is a hateful voyage. Don't go soft on me. Don't I don't you know. Dare go soft on me, Peter. Listen, man, maybe when that EMH or the emergency medical episode got activated, we might've gotten booted into an alternate dimension again. We might be on the awesome voyage. I don't know. Oh, we'll have to see. No, you stop that shit right now. I got some, there's some bad, I haven't shown you uh, a threshold yet. That'll fucking shock you right back to where you're supposed to be, <laughs> mister. I'll, I'll put you on report, god damn yeah, it. Yeah, the kind of shocker that's gonna be a two in the pink, one in the stink situation. All <laughs> oh, right. sh- fuck yeah, it is. How, what, what are we sitting at here? An hour, fucking two hours? Hour, yeah, 20. hour and 20 out fucking two hours hour and 20 minutes but it was well worth it thank you for joining us on vijer please a at least to one of us hateful voyage to the delta quadrant and to another uh shall we say uh less virulent and weak member a a suddenly soft and squishy voyage to the delta quadrant my name is joseph i'm peter anybody out there who wants to uh shit all over our um filleting of this episode feel free to jump on the v'ger please trauma support group or uh throw some punches at us directly on the v'ger please facebook page or v'ger please on twitter uh we'd love to hear from you guys we well you're not going to hear about this in time but uh when we do our season recap 
you guys have conversation topics that you want us to to dig into and and pee on or or love or whatever, send us an email, send us a message on Facebook. We'd love to uh, talk about the things you want us to talk about. Absolutely. Peter wants to pee on whatever you're peeing on. And I do too. And on that note, we will catch you uh, next week with Investigations. Peace! Peace!